Hello and welcome to Market Matters, a podcast brought to you by Emirates NBD. My name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer for the bank. Today, I will make an update about the war in Ukraine from an investment perspective and present our recent tactical asset allocation changes. We all know the tragedy happening in Ukraine. The Russian invasion started on the last week of February and shocked by its magnitude. Economic sanctions from the West followed. They are also unprecedented in terms of magnitude. They include freezing assets from oligarchs, as well as banning Russian aircraft and ships from airspace and ports in the West. But most importantly, they heavily focus on the financial system. For the first time, a number of banks are excluded from the SWIFT international payment network, which cuts them from the rest of the world. For the first time, Russia's central bank is banned from transacting with the West, which means it cannot access the country's foreign reserves. This set of sanctions is designed to inflict maximum damage on the Russian economy while maintaining the flow of Russian oil and natural gas exports, which are not in the scope. Indeed, there is no way the world, and especially Europe, can function without them. Still, Russia's economy is under an enormous pressure, which is only amplified by additional measures from the private sector. From BP to Shell, from Apple to Google, from General Motors to Honda and Toyota, links are being cut and investments cancelled in Russia. As we write, rating agencies have just downgraded the country by multiple notches, below investment grade, and major equity index providers have simply deleted Russian companies from their benchmarks. All put together, sanctions are again extreme. It is economic war. From an investment perspective, the situation has consequences for both economies and markets. Russia first. The ruble is in free fall, banks are in deep trouble, the central bank dramatically increased interest rates and imposed capital controls. The country will go in a deep recession and the population will suffer. I will just mention that we didn't and don't have any Russian security or product on our recommended list and strongly advise not to be tempted to buy even at distressed valuations. To illustrate, the index of the London-listed Russian companies fell from 70 before the invasion to 40 when it started, then to 18, then to 9 the following day, and is now below 3. So now, let's turn to the rest of the world. Before the war, growth was accelerating with the virus fading and there were hopes for a deceleration of inflation. It was before. The impact of the war on the global economy is about energy, soft commodities, supply chains and, of course, sentiment. Oil prices in particular have surged to their highest level in almost 15 years, above $110 for the brand. In a nutshell, the war in Ukraine means slower growth and higher inflation for the global economy. This new context is not simple for central banks. More inflation requires more action, but more action creates vulnerabilities 
to an already challenged economic outlook. We had the beginning of an answer from the Fed as its chairman just delivered a speech to the US Congress. In essence, he said that the Fed will keep on tightening to fight inflation and that the US economy is strong enough to deal with higher borrowing costs. However, he indicated that the tightening would be measured and data-dependent. There is some realism there. Now, let's move on to market implications. A simplistic view could be that slower growth with high inflation is bad for everything. Higher interest rates hurt defensive assets, while a challenging outlook and risk aversion hit cyclical assets. It's, of course, as always, not that simple. First, defensive assets are not just about central banks and inflation. They benefit from flight to quality in times of uncertainty. Their pricing also improves when long-term growth perspectives deteriorate. Finally, with the stellar levels of global debt, there is no way the system can afford skyrocketing long-term interest rates. Despite oil prices surging and pushing inflation, the US 10-year is now 20 basis points lower than before the invasion. Coming to stocks, there are also nuances. Under our central scenario, and I'll come back to that in a minute, we are not talking about a global recession. Global growth should not be derailed as the recovery from the COVID disruptions still has legs globally. Of course, all regions are not equal and some will suffer more than others from the crisis. Europe is clearly at the epicenter, while the US and China should be less affected. We see some fundamental upside potential for stocks, but of course it is highly dependent on the developments of the crisis, catalyst and duration. So let's now talk scenarios. Our central assumption is for a material de-escalation in the coming weeks. We see strong incentives for both sides to shorten the crisis. Russia cannot afford the sanctions and the stellar costs of an occupation. The West cannot live without Russian energy. Talks are active between Ukrainian and Russian officials, and we have some hope that China could be a mediator. They are a powerful and trusted friend to Russia, but they have carefully avoided to openly express an outright support in the UN Security Council, for example. There would be immense diplomatic and geopolitical benefit for China to be the one who stops a war, and it would be, of course, great news for the world. This is our central scenario, a reasonably short duration and an agreed ceasefire as a catalyst before negotiating the actual exit. It's unfortunately not the only possibility. The economic sanctions aim at putting the maximum pressure on the Kremlin to end the invasion, but they are so extreme that the exact opposite cannot be excluded, an outright escalation. 
the key signal to watch for this worst-case scenario would be the suspension of Russia's energy supply to Europe. This would be the equivalent of a bomb on the European economy, a point of no return, potentially opening the worst retaliation and possibilities. The West, and the White House in particular, could be playing with fire here. Finally, a third scenario is a prolonged crisis with little visibility on the timing and the nature of its end. People would keep on suffering, energy and currencies would be weaponized, economies and markets would be upset. If we had to put some probabilities on our scenarios, they would be as follows. 60% for a material de-escalation in the coming weeks, 30% for a longer war and uncertainty, and 10% for an outright escalation. So, against such a backdrop, what do we advise for your investments? As you may already know, our global investment outlook for 2022 is titled Low Visibility Ahead. We were prepared for a highly uncertain and volatile environment focusing on reactivity rather than proactivity. This is why we started the year by selling our entire overweight in developed market stocks to have a more neutral stance and be ready to seize future opportunities. Future opportunities were quantified and formalized in terms of market levels for two asset classes. We decided to reduce our underweight in government bonds if the US 10-year Treasury yield was above 2%. We also decided to add to developed market equities in case the US S&P 500 would close below 4,300. Both thresholds were reached at different times for different reasons. Earlier in February, before the invasion, the US 10-year reached 2.04% and we added to defensive government bonds. Last week, following the start of the invasion, the S&P 500 tumbled close to 4,200 and according to plan, we went overweight on developed market stocks. So in a way, we played both defense and attack, which could look as a paradoxical combination. It isn't because both are relevant for the medium term. Above 2%, we consider that it's a good time to start reducing the successful underweight in govies that we initiated more than a year ago. We believe that interest rates have a limited potential to rise and even reasons to be lower in the future. Govies would also outperform under a negative scenario for growth, which could probably also trigger some moderation from central banks. With regards to equities, we see fundamental upside potential for the medium term under any scenario except the worst. Between falling prices and rising earnings, the valuation multiple problem that we had in January is materially abating. Indeed, we bought back in February less than what we had sold in January when prices were 15% higher. We believe that in the year of low visibility, this is the reactivity which is needed to deliver superior returns. 
We do not compromise with our objective of protecting your capital better than our competitors in difficult times. So far, with year-to-date returns between minus 4 and minus 6% for our three profiles, we outperform them by a significant margin. Now, don't get me wrong. Visibility remains extremely low and we'll still expect considerable volatility in the weeks ahead. Under our central scenario, we expect positive returns for the medium term, let's say 2022, but we remain diversified and vigilant. We would not hesitate to adapt exposure again, either because markets become too optimistic or if the probability of escalation rises. The worst is never certain. It's actually highly unlikely. But please don't engage in short-term speculation or run excessive leverage in such an environment. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and invest wisely for the long term.